everyone. Welcome to another episode of Strength for Today. I'm your host here, Eric Dykstra. And it's such a privilege each time we get to journey on this thing called life together. And I love hearing your guys' feedback, your encouragement is what's ministering to you, and also just what God's doing in your life. Well, on Monday, we started engaging in a topic that's dear to my heart, and that's identity. And I shared with you about the source of where we get our identity from and really the lack of identity that we see in the world. And if you look around, there's a great identity crisis, I believe. And a lot of that has stirred from our inability to really know who we were created in the image of, which Genesis says very clearly that let us create man in our image. And so we are the reflection and expression of who God is. And only you can express those characteristics that he's placed in you to the world around you. So today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into identity. And we are going to look at where we draw our source of, of, of strength, really, through identity. But really, our identity can come from two very different places. And that's going to produce a very different outcome in lifestyle dependent upon where we draw our source of identity. I'd like to take us again back to where I get my source of identity, but really what scripture teaches us as well is knowing the identity and the nature of who God is. And in light of knowing that, we begin to have a greater revelation and understanding of who God has specifically and uniquely made us to be as well. So let's look at the source of where we can get our identity. For so many of us, and I can even say this is true in my own life, is that even as I've been a believer or a follower of Christ, I've often struggled sometimes to really know my identity, but then to live into that identity. And for a lot of us, I think it's easy because we forget that we have an enemy. And in John 10, 10, it says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I believe those words are a part of that is in regards to our identity. Because if, if the enemy himself, which the Bible states very clearly, is, is against us and opposes us and is jealous of us because of everything that he's lost because of the victory and the death and resurrection of Jesus, he wants to keep us from having the, the revelation and the wisdom of all that God is and all that he has for his children in the world today. So he does everything that he can to try to get us to really draw on our identity from the world and chase after and pursue places that where we think identity is formed or we get a sense of identity from. And for a lot of us, I shared in my life as a, for a long time, it was being an athlete. A lot of us, maybe it's winning or competition. Maybe for others, it's being successful, looking good being with the right person, having so many children. There's so many different things that really create a sense of identity with us. But apart from Christ, we're going to see that a lot of these things leave us feeling empty, deceived, alone, or isolated. And that's really a, a markers or I guess red flags that go up. If you're feeling some of those things, more than likely, you're probably drawing your source of identity from these things. And I don't want you to hear me say that, you know, being a father, being a mother, uh, being a great worker, making money, those things are bad in and of themselves. But when that's the end, it leaves us coming up short in knowing our identity 
and really living from a place of our identity. So I want you to be encouraged by that today. Or the second place that we can draw from, and this is where I want you to be encouraged, is the place of the spirit. And if we are drawing our source of identity from our spirit, which if you look at John chapter three, when Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, Nicodemus is, is a Pharisee at the time um, who's a, a religious leader. And he's intrigued by what he's seen Jesus doing, the amount of authority that Jesus has. And there's things that Jesus has been able to do that even the Pharisees weren't able to do. And so there's a conversation and Nicodemus approaches Jesus and he asks him, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born of the spirit, born again. And Nicodemus is confused because he's still trying to understand this with his natural mind. And what Jesus is saying is that our source of identity and being comes from that moment in time where we put our faith in Jesus and look to him and keep our eyes on him as being the source and strength of our identity and where we draw our sense of being. Because let me make a distinction here is that for a lot of us, our identity comes through what we're doing. But God designed it in its original purpose to come from our being, because you've probably heard this said that we're not human doings, but we're human beings. And a lot of the maturity process and growth spiritually is coming into the fullness and realization of who God is that was revealed in Christ and now even taken deeper in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit get to form a, a deeper, more intimate understanding of God's identity which then empowers and enables our true identity because what he's put in you in terms of identity is unique and specific in your circumstances is going to allow that and the relationships and the depth of your relationships will form that sense of identity. This is who I am. This is what makes me tick on a daily basis. This is what brings me life and joy is coming from a place of the spirit. Romans 8 verses 5 through 11 is a great example of this. Here are these words from the apostle Paul. This is in the English standard version. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind of the, on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So there's a distinction that Paul's making, what we set our mind on. Is it coming from a place of the spirit or of the flesh, which comes from the world? And he's saying those who set their mind on the spirit, there's life and peace. So a great sense of living in your identity is really if you have these two characteristics. Is there a sense of life that's being brought into your heart, into your being? And is there a sense of life that's the outflow or the overflow of what's going into your heart, because what goes in is what's often going to come out. And is it life-giving? I can remember several people in my life that I was really intrigued because there was just a sense of life and joy and vibrancy that came out of them. And as I spent time with them, I, I started to realize that it was from a deep sense of connection and relationship with Christ. 
And that's where they drew their source of strength and identity from. And it came out because it was life-giving and I wanted to be around them. And that's the kind of person that I wanted to become and, and create that kind of environment for others in my life. And he says, there will be peace. There will be peace in your heart and a peace that begins to settle in simply because you're drawing your source of worth and value and identity according to the spirit and the way that God sees you. Because remember, he said in 1 Samuel 16, 7, that the Lord looks at the heart or the inner being of a person, not the outward appearance. So our identity really comes from within and finding the courage and the vulnerability to live from that place. It says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So uh, the mind that is set on the flesh is actually hostile. Before I gave my life to Christ, I was a person that was very hostile to other people. I was very competitive. I got angry really fast. I became bitter. I became offensive. But as I got to know who Christ was, I began to understand this isn't who he was. In my very nature, the core of who I was began to change. Do I still get angry at times? Yes. Do I still lose my cool, have temper? Um, am I still extremely competitive? Yes. But the way I respond in adversity is much different today than it was before I knew Christ and had him change and transform those parts of my life. And then in eight, this is the startling verse. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's this choice that we have to, to, to really make. And it's not really even a choice, but it's the lifestyle that we began to build is going to be one that responds to the things of God. Because when we're born again, as Jesus was stating to Nicodemus, and he says to us when we invite us into a relationship, that when we give our hearts to him, we become humble and we become open and we grow. And there's a level of humility that we're open to the process that changes us and makes us more like him. And we're more willing and able to come into that true identity that brings life and peace that he talked about just a couple verses ago. Here's a great illustration that I once heard that really represents the source of where our identity takes uh, on its form or is formed. How many of you like the moon? One of the things I love doing is going out on a clear night. And I grew up in a very rural area. And so there wasn't a lot of city lights. And if you ever have a chance or if you live in the city, just go out where there's not a lot of lights and just look up. And especially on those nights where there's the moon, it's magnificent. It reflects light. But what we realize about the moon is this, that alone and when it's not in alignment with the sun, really all it is is a dark rock floating in space. doesn't reflect any light. It's not really that great to look at. And in fact, you really can't even see it when it's not reflecting the sun. But when it comes into alignment with the sun that produces the light, uh, that, that is reflected, and then the moon actually gives off the radiant light that is being, that it's receiving from the sun, and it becomes magnificent. It becomes beautiful to look at, and you can just gaze at the moon, and all of a sudden, it's no longer just a dark rock floating in space. It's something beautiful reflecting the light of the sun. 
You see the spiritual analogy here that I'm drawing us into? When Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree that God had forbidden them to eat from, it opened us up to sin. And in, even in the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, you see man trying to live uh, apart from God. And it's really God's desire to reconcile them and restore them because we are his chosen people. And he's still after our heart today. And through the, the, the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection and ascension, we now have access to be reunited with God. And this, the moon analogy often represents our lives or our identity. When we're not in alignment with the word of God and the promises and the identity that God's given us, it's kind of like we're the dark rock floating out in space. And I'm sure you've gone through life. And if you, I don't know how, um, you know, a person can go through life without Christ because I knew what it was like before and I know what it's like after. And so one of my greatest honors and privileges is to just introduce people to Jesus because he brings light. I mean, it's like Jesus is the son of God. He is the representation of all of God's goodness, his light, the source of identity that, um, you know, life that's brought into the world. He's the source. And when we align our lives and submit and surrender to the words of God and how he designed us and purposed us to live, we come into alignment with who he is and we see that picture. And then our life, our identity takes on his nature and our life now becomes about reflecting his glory to the world around us. We're not just a dark rock floating in space anymore but we reflect the glory and the light of the living God who created us. And now we get to carry that image into the world around us. So it's very important for us to align ourselves into the spirit through being reborn into a relational way of lifestyle and living that draws our source in that now we can represent the glory of who Jesus is in its fullness to the world around us. Because apart from him, our identity is shallow, it's weak, and it always leaves us wanting more, longing for more, and we're never satisfied. But in him, we get to take on his nature, and then it's just that process of being you. Not having to perform, not having to please, but now you are hearing and receiving directly from God, and he's going to illuminate everything inside and divide the darkness in the light, just like he did in Genesis 1 and 2 when he separated the light and the darkness. That's an image of what happens in us when we're reflecting and receiving from Christ. That light and darkness is getting divided, and he's pulling out more of our identity, more of our light in, in who he is. So I want to just examine a couple scriptures, and I'll, I'll bring us to a close here. So let's go to Philippians 1.20, and I'll start in verse 19. It says, yes, I will rejoice. This is the English Standard Version. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Again, he's talking about his hardships that he's had to endure. And just before this, he's talking about people who, you know, have gone out and presented the gospel maybe with false motives. Um, and all the sufferings that Paul has had to endure 
because of what he's doing now, he's saying all these things through your prayers and through the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that they will turn out for my deliverance. And so there was a hope and an expectation that no matter what you've gone through, no matter what Paul went through, he knew that Christ was going to help him through it in bringing him into a better place, even if there was hardship and suffering. It's one of the things that suffering does in our lives is it helps us to come into the fullness of who God is and what he can be in our lives. And then in verse 20, it says, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that the full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. So one of Paul's greatest priorities and honors was that Christ would be honored through his body and what he was doing with it, whether by life or death. And then he makes this statement, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Take a moment just to take that in. For Paul, the summation of his life was saying that to live is Christ and to die would be gain. And then he talks about the struggle of being torn on days about wanting to go to be with the father permanently or to stay here and to benefit those that he's called to and help them understand the goodness of the gospel and the God and the relationship that he's had with God. But to live is Christ. That has to be where our starting point for identity really is. It's going back and saying that we're not human doings, but beings. To live, to have our being is found in the person of Christ. And God has placed us into Christ through his crucifixion. We died, we were crucified with Christ. And he even says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's an exchange that happens when we're born again. See, his goodness, his light begins to fill us and it's drawn out. And now we get to express it to the world around us. And just like Paul said, for us to live is Christ, to have our being is Christ. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, going back to that letter that Paul wrote, he said that Christ was the image of the invisible God. By him, all things were created and all things were created through him and for him. God taking our attention back to the source of everything that was ever spoken into existence, even the very breath that God put into Adam, that he puts into you and I from Christ is for Christ and we are to reflect Christ's glory to the world around us. So that's our starting point. And in verse 19 of Colossians 1, he says, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Now we have a chance or an opportunity to have Christ in us. And when we're reborn of the spirit, Christ is in us. So if God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in the person of Christ. And now Christ dwells in us and we carry the Holy Spirit internally within us. Does that not say that God is so well pleased to have Christ dwelling in us that he's in awe and delighted and joyful to have his presence be reflected and represented through you? If you're the moon and you are reflecting him and his light, 
he's up there. He, he's in us, smiling over us, singing over us, celebrating who we are. And I can just see heaven around you celebrating, saying, this is our son. This is our daughter. And he is well pleased with who you are. And his greatest desire is to make you more into his image. Because in verse 20, it says that he's reconciled all things to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross. Talking about Jesus's crucifixion on the cross, the blood that was shed. The whole purpose of that was to reconcile you to him, to bring peace into your life. In verse 21 says, you were once alienated and hostile, but now reconciled and made holy and blameless above reproach. If you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, and not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, take that in. You were once alienated and hostile. How does that feel? Maybe you experienced that once in life. Now that you're walking in relationship, you're not alienated from him, you're not hostile towards him. You are receptive to his goodness, his light coming in and you welcome it. And I love what he says. He says, above reproach, you were made holy and blameless. If you continue in faith, here's some characteristics of God's strength. He says, you will remain stable, steadfast, and not shifting. Back to the very first episode and those definitions of strength that we talked about, the ability to be fortified from within, to resist external pressure, the power to have influence and leadership in someone's life, having the emotional capacity to withstand being overwhelmed by the emotions of this world. Because that's what Christ has done in you, made you holy and blameless, made you a new creation. He's made you stable, steadfast, and not shifting. That's the joy of walking in right relationship with God and what you have access to. And then in verse 27 of Colossians 1, it says, God chose to make known all the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is in, which is Christ in you. Again, let me read that. God chose to make known all the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you. This brings us back to the moon analogy, the mystery of all the glory in the world that is of God, that is God himself, is now Christ in you. The glory of God, the light of who he is that radiates above all the darkness now gets to shine in you and through you because of who Christ wants to be and is in you. Great news, friends. Great news. I'll end with this scripture in Colossians 3, 4. And this is the passion. It says, as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. For you are now one with him in his glory. In his glory. So as Christ is revealed, it says, as he's fully known, we become illuminated inside and we have a greater revelation of who he's made us and called us to be. Because as you discover God and as you get to know who he is, he begins to tell you who you are. 
it's an abiding relationship of you abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in you. So as you get to know God at a deeper level, you get to discover more of who you are because of who he is. It's like in our families. Sometimes we don't realize as children how much we reflect our earthly mother and father, whether that's good or bad. For me, I had great parents that reflected the image of God to me. And I'm proud to take on the characteristics of what I saw in my earthly father and mother and hope to pass them down to future generations of my children and that they would pass it on to their children. That's what Jesus has provided in us. Access to the heavenly father, a representation of what it was like to live as a man in this world and not be overwhelmed, but to carry the strength of his father into every circumstance that he walked in, into every relationship around him. Because you reflect the image of our eternal God, the God of scripture, the God of creation, you get to uniquely express a part of who he is. So may our hearts, may our minds, may our lives, our actions, our words reflect the one true source of light and identity. God bless. Join me again on Friday as we've got just some incredible activations that we're going to dive in to see the incredible statements that God makes about us and who we are in him. You won't want to miss it. Hope to, to see you. Hope to hear you on Friday. God bless.